Well, I have a few objectives this morning. Um, I want to express thanks and gratitude to you as a church and to God and the way that he's moved through you. I want to hopefully remind you and encourage you uh, over what it is that we're doing. Um, And last but not least, I want to try to hold myself together up here. And in hindsight, I wish that had been after me, but that's okay. Let's pray and ask God that he would help us in all those things. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here this morning and grateful, especially grateful to you in the way that your hand has moved, bringing us um, to this point this morning. And uh, God, I pray that your grace would be evident among us. that you would help us, as our minds are dull, to grasp all that's going on. Um, God, help us to enjoy it, and uh, help us to enjoy you in the midst of it. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we are um, standing on uh, the edge of something that's really incredible. As I made uh, mention in um, in the welcome, that God has been moving through many people for a long time, and through the prayers of his people, and we are at a point where next week, seven days from now, uh, this one community um, will split into two, and <clears throat> that means that there is this display of God's wisdom or this proclamation of the gospel that will go from, from coming from one church to two churches in the span of one week. It's really an incredible thing that, that the proclamation will double from this week to next week out of this one body <clears throat> of believers, and as I've I've been trying to get my head around that, trying to put that into context. Uh, and, and all that's happened to get us here, I thought of Paul's words in Philippians, where I'm going to read from this morning, Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. <clears throat> you know, Paul, Paul started the church in Philippi. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And after starting it, he moved on to continue proclaiming the gospel in new regions, but the church at Philippi continued to support him. They entered into this partnership with him, and that's really what we're going to read about this morning as he pauses at the end of this letter to really reflect on all that they have done for him and and to express this gratitude towards them. And his words, I think, really mirror the way that I feel this morning and, um, and I think will be instructive to us this morning as we kind of as we think through the, the nature of our relationship as it will continue even uh, into next week and beyond. <clears throat> so Philippians 4, starting in verse 14, says that, Yet it was, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> Paul's language here is the language of friendship and partnership. 
And really what he's going to do in these, in these verses that I, that I read from is he's going to explain the nature of their partnership. <clears throat> and that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to think about the nature of our partnership. And yeah, he starts off with this language of kind of common suffering. He says in verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Or the word to share can mean to have fellowship in. In other words, they are choosing to partner with him in the midst of his struggle. They, they've made a sacrificial gift to try to meet his needs. They saw his need from afar. They knew that he was in prison. And they made sacrificial gifts, really jumping into the fire with him willingly. Um, not because they were coerced or because they had to, but they saw his need. They chose to make his need their own need and sacrifice to meet it. And so they've jumped into this partnership with him. <clears throat> Verse 15, Paul makes it clear that their partnership is, is from the beginning, I think, which, which means that, that they, from the beginning, from the first time the gospel came to them, from the first time that it took root in their lives, they entered into this partnership of supporting him. It takes us back to the language uh, in chapter 1, where Paul says in verse 3 through 5, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Their partnership from the beginning has been established in the gospel. And one, one commentator talked about it being like a threefold union between them, that <clears throat> between the Paul, the church in Philippi, and Christ himself. And, and I thought that was a really thought-provoking description of the relationships that we all share as believers. That it is this threefold union that we have between you, <clears throat> us, and Christ. A great description of our relationship that will continue between our two churches, and, and the implications of that, that as we cling to Christ, so we will be clinging to one another. And as we delight in him, we will delight in each other. In much the same way that Paul, over and over again, talks about how he rejoices to hear this good news of the different churches that he has been a part of. It, it will be the same with us. When we hear a good report of one another, we will rejoice. When we hear that great things are happening at Christ's covenant church, it will make us glad because of this partnership that we have in the gospel. And the same will be true for you. When you hear good reports of what's happening in Rollsville, your hearts will be full of joy. Why is that? It's because our, our partnership isn't rooted in the fact that we all meet in the same building on Sunday mornings. And our partnership isn't rooted in the fact that we see each other every Sunday and Wednesday, but our partnership is in the gospel. Our partnership is in this idea that we have all we all cling to this common hope that, that we trust in Christ, that He is our only hope, that we don't, we don't trust in this building or in this gathering. We don't trust in anything but Christ alone. And, and when we separate next week, that will remain the same. As we gather together there and you gather together here, our common hope will be in Christ still. He speaks of their nature, the, the nature of their partnership being in giving and receiving, Paul makes it clear that they were the only church that partnered with him in this way. What a, a great thing, a great encouragement for him to give them. And the same is, is true for us. <clears throat> it wasn't the first time they supported him. And in verse 16, Paul goes back to review their history. He pauses to think back on all the, the times that they've provided for him. That they've made several gifts. And 
and, and several sacrificial gifts, and we have this same type of relationship. That you, Christ's Covenant Church, are the only church that is entering into sacrificial support of us. That is no small thing. Uh, and as we, you know, kind of put ourselves out on a limb to try uh, to plant this church for the glory of God, it's not lost on us that you are a church that stands behind us in full partnership, giving sacrificially and, and seeking to meet our needs in many ways, including the continued prayer and the continued visitation that you guys will enter into. It's, it's overwhelming for us. This is where I got to hold it together. <clears throat> you know, speaking personally, <clears throat> from the time I, I got here five years ago, I've been invested in and I've been poured into, I've been taught and led and, and encouraged. Um, many of you know that Tom is a great pastor and a great preacher, but if you haven't <clears throat> been here for a long time, you may not know that he's a great mentor. And that he is a great teacher. In fact, when uh, Luke Akins was coming on staff, he was asking me what it's like to work at the church. And I said, well, one of, the, one of the great blessings that you won't know about until you start, until you get into the flow of being in the office, is, is the blessing that it is to work with Tom. I said, you, you, you really can't imagine what a gifted teacher he is. And I don't just mean that he can stand up on a Sunday morning and proclaim truth, which he does very well. But I told him that there hasn't been a time when I've gone in to ask him about something or to run a situation by him or or just to have a discussion over some issue that I'm facing that I haven't walked out of his office feeling as if I have learned something. That he takes every opportunity to teach me. And I know that it takes a lot of his time. I know that he um, willingly lays down things that he was going to do so that he can take time to instruct me. He's spent hours with me over the last five years teaching me about ministry, about the church, and about preaching, about the nature of life and being a husband and being a father. I'm almost done with this part, and I think I'm going to make it. <clears throat> I've told him this privately, and I, I can't prepare. <clears throat> I'll leave those. I wanted to tell him publicly uh, that there's no doubt in my mind that apart from God's grace being poured into my life through him, there's no way I'd be ready for this. And I know that many of you know that and see that, but I thought that we should rejoice in it publicly together this morning, that God has moved that way. And and as I was, and now I'm getting away from the personal stuff, because that would be very helpful, but as I was was thinking about the church plant team, and if I could bring them up here one at a time, this is is the grace of God that's, that's given to us through the church, and this is an encouragement for all of us. That if I was to parade them up here one at a time, they could all point to different members in this congregation and say, I wouldn't be the same person I am if it weren't for that person and that person and the way that this person had encouraged me in this season of life or the meal that this person brought me in my darkest hour. You know, we leave here marked by you as a church. What an expression of God's grace to us. 
And why would you do that? Why would Tom invest hours in me knowing for now a couple years that I will leave shortly? Why would you give sacrificially to a church that you will probably only attend a couple of times? Why did the Philippians support Paul? It's because their partnerships are rooted in the gospel. Because we have all been collectively served by one who laid down his life for us. It's magnificent what he has done. And we can find joy in laying down our lives in some small way for each other. And we, as a church plant scene, a church plant team, have seen you do that for us over and over again. It is clear to us that our partnership is rooted in nothing less than the gospel itself. There's another reason why we make these sacrifices, though. Paul gives word to it in verse 17. He makes it clear that his greatest concern isn't the benefit that he gets from these gifts. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What is that? What is the fruit that increases to their credit? Or some translations say, the interest that accrues to their accounts, is it not their eternal rewards? And before you, you think that an unholy motivation, you know, remember that Jesus over and over again is pointing his followers to this idea that they should not seek to, to please men and gain the reward here on earth, but instead they should live to please God. Trusting that their reward is, in fact, with him in heaven. It's, it's how the, the writer of Hebrews defines faith itself. In Hebrews 11.6, he says, without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The writer of Hebrews is, is saying that faith is essential to us living a life that's pleasing to God. This is because in order to do what God has commanded us, we have to believe that drawing near to him now and living with him forever is far better than any of the temporary pleasures that we could pursue in this world. We have to believe that the pleasures at God's right hand far outweigh the pleasures of this world. It's what Paul is getting at in Romans 8, speaking about suffering. In verse 18, when he says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is a truth that we need this morning. Because we all stand on the cusp of a great sacrifice. We've come here this morning to celebrate all that God has done and rejoice in it, but we have also come to collectively embrace and acknowledge that we are about to sacrifice greatly. Next week, we won't be here. We are saying goodbye to our friends. And you, likewise, are watching your friends leave. Why would we do that? Why not choose to stay together and enjoy each other more? Why not stay here where we are comfortable and things are easy for us? Because by faith we believe that what is to come at God's right hand far outweighs the sacrifices that we will make. Because we believe that when we stand before God together one day, we will rejoice that we parted ways for a time. And then for eternity, we will rejoice over all that God did through our collective sacrifice. It will be far greater. 
Paul and the Philippians are motivated by these same things, this common hope in the gospel and this hope in the reward that is to come. And then in, in verse 18, Paul really moves into gratitude. He wants to express to the Philippians what a blessing they've been to him. He says that he has received full payment and more. He is well supplied. And that's really the line that drew me to this text. As I was thinking about the way that you have supported us, I couldn't think of any better words to describe it. We have received full payment and more. We are well supplied because of your commitment to God. Because of your faith that led to sacrifice and because of your desire to see God's kingdom expanded and His church built up, I feel as though our cup is running over. I've said this to many people, but I feel, like, I feel as though God has exceeded our expectations on every front. And again, it's not lost on us that that's mainly because of the way that He has moved through you as a church. And Paul offers more than just thanks, but he turns their attention to God. He reminds them that their gift is not just pleasing to him, but it's pleasing to God. It's a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And I would remind you of the same thing, the support that that you have given us and that you will continue to give us is evidence of your love for God. And it is a pleasing aroma to him. You are giving up things, giving up relationships. You're, You're giving generously to this endeavor. And it is evidence to God and evidence to the world around us and even evidence to us that your love for God is greater than your love for the things that he has given you. And it's a pleasing aroma to him. Paul finished by, finishes by telling them in verse 19 that God's response to their gift will be that he, God himself, will meet all of their needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. And one commentator said about that line, they gave, speaking of the Philippians, out of their poverty. But God gives to them according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And that is a wonderful contrast. That we have these finite, limited resources that we offer to God, but God gives to us out of this infinite well of glory made known in Jesus Christ. You have given us people with spiritual gifts and God will replace them. He already has begun. You've given to us financially and God will see that your needs are met. You have given us encouragement and God himself will encourage you. You can almost picture Paul here as he's instructing them in the resources that God is drawing from. He's talking about the riches of God's glory in Jesus Christ and his mind is filled with the greatness of God which overflows as it as it often does in Paul's letter, into praise or doxology. He says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul recognizes that all of this is from God. God is the one who's moved the Philippians to give. He's the one who gave them resources so that they could give. God is the one who opened their eyes to the glory of the gospel. God is the one who will now in turn supply all their needs. And the same is true for us. The only reason that we are willing to go is that God has opened our eyes to the greatness of his glory. He's given us faith to believe that there's more to be gained than there is to be sacrificed. The only reason that you have given so generously is because God has opened your heart, showing you the value of the gospel. 
and the eternal fruit that will come from the birth of a new church. Praise be to God. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Tom. Thank you, Daniel. Don't feel worthy of such words, but thank you for lying so well. (laughs) Let me just pray for me. Father, give grace to me that I may speak clearly in an encouraging, upbuilding way. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today is truly a a celebration of launching a church. And and we only do this because we totally understand that it is not by uh, might or by our power, ingenuity, planning. It's by the Spirit of God. That's how a church is planted. We are fully aware of that. We we rest in that truth. It's been a lot of prayer and a lot of effort and a lot of work has gone into it. But at the end of the day, we know that if this church grows, it'll be by the Spirit of God. It's also a day of serious contemplation, though. I mean, there has been, um, well, we're very thankful and mindful that God is using us. He draws us in to do a work in Rollsville in the planting of these gospel-centered churches. It's surreal today for me in a lot of ways because there's so much work that has gone in, particularly borne by Daniel and the plant team, there's so much work that has gone into this that we stand on the threshold of we don't know what's going to come out of it. We, we trust that it's going to be great and glorious. It's going to be far beyond what we can imagine, not just in terms of the impact, but also the length of time. You know, starting a ministry is one thing. It can have value and benefit. But planning a church, that church, by God's grace, will be preaching the gospel when Daniel and Amy are in the grave. I, I mean, it has a generational impact. It's kind of like when you get married, you kind of understand what you're getting into, kind of, but you have no idea of the joy that lay before you in marriage. You, could, you didn't have the categories to comprehend and to understand all the beauty and happiness and satisfaction that can come to us through a Christ-centered marriage. And, and so with this church plant, we are just excited while we are unaware of all that God will do through the ministry this man and the people going with him. So for that, I'm very, very thankful. And so my, my order today is to give a pastoral charge um, to Daniel, particularly, but also the plant team that is going. And then for us who remain, I want to charge you. A charge is kind of a pastoral word of exhortation, a direction, encouragement, challenge. That's what a charge is to be seen as. And um, Daniel, I want to begin with you. I mean, I can't believe we stand on the threshold of this plant. You know, five years ago, you had just gotten off the truck from Texas fairly recently after that, and, uh, and happy, if I remember right, and um, interviewing you, and you had just been recently married, less than two years, no children, coming here, no, you know, just trying to get your degree, and here, you're married seven years this, this summer, two beautiful children, and, uh, I mean, you've, you've just, you've grown up. I mean, we, we've seen you mature. I've seen your gifts develop. And, and uh, you brought a lot of metal to the table, but you have definitely worked to, to uh, develop it and to enhance it. 
you know, you're a leader. You've been called by God. You've been gifted by God. And that's been confirmed by this church. And it's confirmed by the plant team that has signed up to go with you on this plant. Uh, the, the task before you is, uh, is great, though. I mean, what we're calling you to do is beyond you. I mean, to be an aroma of life to those who are being saved and to be an aroma of death to those who are perishing is beyond you. It's impossible. But God is gracious, both to his church and to his people. And, and that's why we go. I, I, think, I, I hope I'm not presumptuous to draw a parallel between Paul and Timothy and their relationship and our relationship. I, as you've given word to, Daniel and I would meet each week and, uh, and speak about ministerial issues, about texts of Scripture, how they ought to be preached. He'd have situations. Uh, we'd talk about how to handle this, diff- diff- you know, delicate issues, difficult issues. Daniel was always very, very humble, teachable, instructive, um, wise beyond his years, um, such that I would often be asking him things. What do you think about this? What, what would you do in this situation? Trying to draw out, not just to give him opportunities to teach me, but his wisdom was beyond his years, and I, I recognize that. And brother, I profited from, from that as well. I, I have deeply enjoyed our friendship. I, I love you dearly, and I'm thankful. Yeah, I'm just thankful for the church. That here is a place where people are gathering together, pouring their lives into one another, and, um, and, and God uses that in the development, not just of us as men, but of our love for Christ and his people. And I'm thankful. So I, I can give you no better charge than the one Paul gave to Timothy. And in, in his second letter in prison, many believe it's probably the last letter of his life. And so he gives these words. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you... Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And Daniel, I just want to draw a few points, and then I'll charge Daniel, and then I'm going to turn and speak to the plant team and the rest of us. But just a few points here, Daniel, just for reminding you that your ministry is in the context of the presence of God. He says, I charge you in the presence of God that... That, that you minister before the face of God. Now, in this case, of course, Timothy was young. He was criticized for his youth. He had certain uh, physical illnesses uh, that made him more of a target of criticism. He was preaching in Ephesus, which was a worldly, sophisticated city. And uh, it was looked down upon, of course, for his youth. And, and Paul is telling him, Forget who was around you for a minute. You are ministering before the presence of God. That, that doctrine of his, con- of his continual presence will be before you, enabling you to do what you know you're not able to do. And, and, and so it's encouragement to us. But also, he says, in the presence of God, but also in the presence of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, his appearing and his kingdom. So Paul is reminding Timothy... 
saying, listen, you minister in the context of Christ appearing to inaugurate his kingdom. So Jesus Christ came to preach the gospel, to proclaim the good news, to offer hope to sinners. And and this coming has established a historical event that you are preaching between the ages. He has come to establish the gospel and to inaugurate, to begin his kingdom. And he's going to come again to judge the living and the dead, that he will come again and bring to bear the rewards for the righteous, punishment for the wicked, and you minister in the overlapping of ages. So you're looking back to the work of Christ. You're looking forward to the coming of Christ. You, have, you are a voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way. As John, John was before the first coming, you're before the second coming. So what an awesome, what an awesome charge to give you. You're before the presence of God and before the coming of Christ. But not only that, you're also ministering the word of God. You, he says, preach the word. Now, just in the earlier chapter, uh, Paul had told Timothy that all scripture is given by inspiration, right, of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That, that you're preaching God's word, not the philosophy of men, not some ideology of men, but the very words of God. These words are instructive. They're not suggestive. They're, they're giving you everything you need to say to a people so that they can be prepared to see God. The word of God is what gathers people, it sanctifies them, and it prepares them to see Christ. And, and it's a word that also, given to the unbeliever, that by the power of the Spirit convicts them and leads them to salvation. You have the word of God to preach, and, and it's so essential. You know, Paul says, preach it in season and out of season. There's never an inappropriate time to bring a word to bear on a situation. And even when people want their ears tickled, even when they want to accumulate themselves, people that will speak to them what they want to say, forsake novelty, forsake humor for humor's sake, forsake the admiration of men, that you preach the word to them. Never, never waver from that. And, and then thirdly, he says that, that you are to minister, at least he speaks about in verse 5, he says to fulfill your ministry. And he combines these three things. He says, be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. And I'm thinking about what Paul had said prior to Timothy, which is this idea of guard the good deposit. You have the, you have the deposit, the gospel, the value of Jesus Christ has to be held up high so that you can be sober-minded. I mean, Timothy's preaching in this materialistic city, as we are, a sensual city. Sober-minded is straight thinking. It's pure. That you as a minister, you're the same person as a man. Your personal life and your ministerial life are wrapped together. The man you are in this pulpit, you need to be in the home, and vice versa. There's no two men in this ministry. And you need to value Christ so as to live sober-mindedly, but also to endure hardship. You know there's unique hardships with the ministry. And valuing Christ enables you to overcome those hardships, those difficulties. Paul uh, was a model for Timothy. Timothy saw him suffer greatly in the preaching of the gospel. And then to do the work of an evangelist, which brings about some of those hardships, that you know, you're, while you be preaching to many believers, you're still evangelizing calling the believer to greater faith, that sanctifying faith, but also calling the unbeliever. And and what a message we have to deliver. I mean, to do the work of an evangelist, to say to people that God has moved unilaterally with grace, reconciling the world to himself through the death and resurrection of his son is a profound, 
I mean, I think about what we get excited to tell other people, and we have that to share. We all have that to share, but particularly you as the leader and the pastor of this church. So, so th- those are just three simple thoughts. You minister in the presence of God, that you minister the word of God, and that you minister, you fulfill your ministry with a view to the glory of the gospel. So, so brother, let me charge you to this task. And I pray that you would give your full life to this. That, Daniel, you would glory in and delight over God. You will minister to people before the throne of God. Let the presence of God be a mountain of hope, satisfaction, and strength as you face situations well beyond your ability. Know that God is directing, leading, guiding, causing events to work together to advance his glory in the church that you lead. Forsake the temptation to center on people and to seek the admiration of men. As your goal, it will lead to error, frustration, and resentment. Ultimate failure. Remind yourself of his presence so that you can vanquish the fear of men. Daniel, secondly, treasure Christ and his cross above all else. Let Christ crucified be the rally point, the central point of everything you do. Make your life a reflection of the one who has bought your soul. Mimic his love, follow his ways, embrace his compassion, draw on his strength. Never be ashamed of him. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Daniel, be a man of the book. Let your ministry be guided by the scriptures. Let your love be defined by the scriptures. Let your mind be conformed to the scriptures. Read the word, love the word, do the word. And Daniel, preach the word. In an age of countless forms of spirituality and individualism, tolerance, evaporating truth, preach the wisdom of God. You're like a surgeon with the word, applying God's word week after week to people. That's what changes them. God's word will mold, reshape, challenge, convict, lead, offer hope to people. Daniel, him we proclaim, teaching and admonishing everyone with all wisdom, so that everyone, so that we might present everyone. Isn't that an awesome thought? That we'll present the church Mature in Christ. It's profound. Daniel, love your people as you minister with humility and grace. Sacrifice for them. Carry their souls to the Father. Let humility guide your leading and your even correcting people under your care. Let the grace guide you as you will see the unpleasant and burdensome things of people's lives that no one else will see. Let the unfathomable grace that you have received from the Father, let that be out of the pool from which you draw to give to others. This includes enduring hardships, that there is a deep loneliness leading, that people expect you to be omni-compassionate, that you will always supposed to have compassion in every situation, that they will often expect you to be omniscient, that you know how to handle every situation all the time, that you'll expect it to be omnipresent, Everywhere, in any crisis, at any time. That you'll be omnipotent. That you'll know how to handle every situation. They will soon expect you to start leaping over tall buildings, stop speeding trains, and the like. But I would ask you to suffer with your people as a dying man to dying men and women. Daniel, love Amy with a sacrificial, consistent, and jealous love. Treat her as a precious gift from God, seeking to love, honor, and lead her into an ever-increasing love for the Father. Treasure her. Love Wyatt and Thatcher and any other children that God may bless you with, not as their pastor, but as their father. 
Give them your best so that they will love the church that you love so much. And last, Daniel, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Live above reproach. Like a soldier, don't get entangled in the things of this world. You need to be free to get into the lives of those who have gotten entangled in the things of this world. Live like a soldier so that you will be able to help them, serve them, and aid them. So Daniel, in all you do, may the love of Christ dwell richly in your heart so that in all things, in all ways, in all times, you may bring glory and honor to your Father in heaven. Now let me speak to the church plant team. This is a bittersweet day. It's bitter in the sense that we say goodbye to friends and family worshiping with you each week. The reason we've had one service here for so long is we want to be together. We love the picture of the family of God. And to separate is definitely bitter. Um, I can speak for myself and the leadership that we know, each one going personally. I mean, we've seen you come to faith, grow in the faith, suffer in the faith, fight for joy in the faith. We've seen your children grow, have officiated a number of the marriages that are going, seen your kids grow up, broken the word for you. To release you is no small matter. We've been a spiritual family pursuing God. You've been a joyful burden in prayer. But it's also sweet in that you're walking out the faith. You're taking the mantle of responsibility upon your shoulders to preach the gospel with both word and deed. That you are treasuring Christ before us by sacrificing the comfort and convenience of this place. So let me offer you a solid reason for hope as you seek to leave this church and next week celebrate Christ on your own. In Matthew 28, you know the verse, I'm not going to pull out of it what you generally hear out of it. I want to highlight something different, but he says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, generally you hear this as a call to missions and a call to serve, and and so it should be because that's what it's teaching. But I want to highlight two things that are in here, which are the motivation of that action. And that is that the authority that has been given to Christ. That the scene is after the resurrection. Jesus has been with them for 40 days. He has labored with them, prayed with them for those three years, and now he's taught them. Resurrected Christ has taught them over this time. He's prayed with them, and now he's going to leave them, and he's sending them to do what he started. But before he sends them, he tells them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. All authority. And when you think about that, He is saying that now Christ reigns over all things. He reigns over the good, the bad. He reigns over men. He reigns over nature. He reigns over cancer. He reigns over death itself. Think about Revelation when he says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. That is the one that sends us. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Then you can go. But not only that, he also gives us the promise of his presence that I will be with you. So when you go, you're not going as orphans alone. The same Christ that is the head of this church will be the head of that church and will empower and equip and enable you to do all that he puts puts before you. So that's the encouragement. That's the good news. That's why we can send you with great joy. And so with that view in mind, both the promises of authority and the promise of his presence, you can go. And then make disciples and do the work 
So let me charge you now, church plant team. First, I would say to consider Daniel's way of life and imitate him. That's what the scripture says to do. It's a profound burden. That's why I'm going to be giving you these other charges, to consider his way of life and to imitate him. I charge you to come hungry to Sunday mornings for the spirit to work through the preached word to change you from glory to glory. Listen to the word and do what you hear. It's essential to learning it. Engage in the work of ministry with joyful sacrifice. Take up the work that is set before you in Rollsville. Doing all things as unto the Lord, not to maintain the health of the church. You do it for the glory of God. He will maintain his church. He said, I'll build it. We trust him in that. I would encourage you and charge you to love Daniel and his family. The greatest way to bless a man is to love his wife and his children. Be proactive about drawing them into your, into your lives. Reach out to them with your friendship, friendship and support. And allow his children to be children. Not perfect. Just little ones in training. Assume the best of his ministry. Make it a policy to speak with him and to him and not about him. If questions arise, then address them to him first. Be patient and allow him room to grow. Support him with your encouragement. Make your words of affirmation be genuine and frequent. And then sacrifice, respect, serve, and undergird Daniel in prayer. Lift him in prayer before the Heavenly Father so that God might bless, protect, lead, and strengthen him as he sacrifices himself and his family for you. Now I'd like to just give a a short word to those of us who remain. Rejoice with me, if you would, over participating with God in this endeavor and sending these dear brothers and sisters with whom we will share eternity with to do the work of grace. Our joy is tempered without a doubt. We are seeing both friends and for some of us, well, spiritual family for sure, and some of us biological family. We're sending. But this is a temporal separation. It is temporal. Do we believe in all that God has assured us? Yes, we do. And so this temporal separation is worthy of his greatness. Consider the worthiness of Christ as you consider the cost. And consider the glorious example of God who sent his son for us as we send our friends for the lost in Roseville. And so to this end, I charge you, members of CCC, embrace the task of praying for these brothers and sisters who are leaving the comfort of their spiritual home to do the work. Appeal to God for their benefit, that they would be a joy-filled people, a faith-filled people as they go to do this work. We have that sign-up sheet. I know I may be uh, charging ahead of what Nick's going to announce, but we have this sign-up sheet on praying for families. We want four families to pray for one family who is going. I would love to see that list filled up even today as we celebrate a meal together. Incidentally, we also have that list signed up that we're sending two families per week to visit uh, Christ Church Rollsville through the year. That's really a cool thing to do. We keep sending people to encourage them. Let us fill that up, please. Uh, secondly, I charge you to fill the gaps that are being left vacant. Uh, you know, they're gonna, I ask you to take up uh, the spots that have been filled by the people who are leaving. They've worked in the nursery. They've worked in music. They've worked as teachers. They've worked as ushers. I would ask you, CCC people, step up into those roles. 
I charge you to be thankful to God for this opportunity. You will thank him. I'm sure of it. Any sacrifice you embrace for Christ, when you see him face to face, you'll really be happy that you stepped out in faith. I can assure you of that. So let's be thankful for this opportunity to be challenged in sending this team out. And then I'd ask you to watch their faith. I'm reading this book on the nature of revivals. And what always happens in a revival is we are blessed by the faith exercised by other people. And so as we see this team go forth, let's reignite our own passion for ministry here among our own people and outside the walls of this church. This is a glorious day that we have to celebrate. Again, I don't, we don't know what this day holds. We hold this day by faith, knowing that what will come out of it will be profound. I think about some of the folks that were here at this church when they called me. And uh, I think, and I just rejoice with you in your faithfulness in, in laboring all these years, praying for this to come. I, I pray that you are enjoying this deeply. I, I do. Well, let's, I'd like to ask Ray to come up. Ray is going to give us some words, and, um, and then he and the elders are going to lead us in prayer.